We turn this morning to Joshua chapter 7, and we look at the battle within. Joshua chapter 7, I want to begin reading at verse 1, read through verse 15. But the sons of Israel act unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down and about thirty-six of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan." O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up, why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, And the household which the Lord takes come near man by man. It shall be that the one who is is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire. He and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we recognize today that there's a battle that goes on within us day by day, a struggle, Lord, with sin, temptation. And Father, I pray that you would teach us now from your word 
that there is victory in Jesus, that He has come to set us free from the bondage of sin. Father, thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would teach us now, that Your Spirit would guide us into Your truth. Oh God, we know that Your Word is everlasting truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text begins with a very short word, but a very important word, the word but. And that's an important word in Scripture because it often presents a sharp contrast between something that is very distressing with something that is very wonderful. One example is Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul describes our condition before God that We follow the prince of the power of the air, that we are dead in our sin. But then you come to verse 4, but God has provided a way for us in, in Jesus. I'm paraphrasing that verse, obviously. Here, however, the word but presents quite an ominous note because it presents a distressing contrast to something wonderful. While a victorious battle was raging within the city of Jericho, there was a battle that was raging within the heart of a man by the name of Achan. And it was a battle that he lost. A battle within that he lost, and the consequences of that battle were very distressing. We all face a battle within us every day of our lives, and there are some important things we need to know about how we can face that battle. Notice, first of all, the battle within can be the greatest battle we face. When the people of Israel were about to conquer the city of Jericho, God gave them some very clear instruction about what they were to do with the people of the city as well as the things that were in it. Go back to chapter 6, verse 17. Here's God's very clear word. The Lord said, The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you... Only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel a curse and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, if you consider what the Lord said here, there was nothing unclear about this instruction, was there? Very clear. You do not touch any of the riches of the city. All of this belongs to God. But there was a man that we find in verse 1 by the name of Achan who had other thoughts. Verse 1 says, But some of the, excuse me, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, The anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. If you jump down to verse 21, you will see exactly what temptation he faced. When he was confronted, here's what he said in verse 21. When I saw among the spoil 
a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them, I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Did you notice the progression there? He says, I saw, then I coveted, then I took, and then I hid it. And if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because that is a pattern that we see all throughout Scripture, don't we? It started right in the Garden of Eden. Remember what Eve, her temptation? First she saw it, and then she desired it, and then she took it and gave some to her husband Adam, and then they tried to hide when God was coming to them in the heat of the day. We see it again. David, Bathsheba. He saw her from the roof of her house, of his house. And then he took her. First he desired her. Then he took her. And then he as well tried to hide it. And so there is that pattern that goes all throughout Scripture. And it usually, or at least quite often, it begins with our eyes, doesn't it? Remember that little song from Sunday school, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? That is very good theology, that song, isn't it? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, because what often happens? We see, we covet, it leads to action, and then often we try to hide it. Job understood that well. In Job chapter 31, verse 1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. And therefore, he said, I will not look upon a maid. This is often the greatest battle we face, is this battle within. This battle with temptation. And secondly, we learn then that the battle within can bring the greatest consequences. When we lose this battle within, there can be Terrible consequences. Verse 2 says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel. And he said, go up and spy the city of Ai. And they returned and said, you know, we don't need to send all the people. They're just a little group, just a small. Let's just send a few. So they sent, what was it, 3,000 men. And they were defeated. We read in verse 5 that 36 of the people of Israel, their soldiers, lost their lives in that battle. And the people of Israel were overcome with fear. If you look at the end of verse 5, we see this phrase that is repeated throughout Joshua. It says, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. If that sounds familiar to you, find it in chapter 2. Remember when the spies went out to spy Jericho and they stayed with Rahab? And she told them, we know about your God. We have heard what your God did in Egypt. We have heard what your God did to the kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og. And she said, the people's hearts are melting with fear. We find it again in chapter 5, verse 1. 
All the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. Their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. That was the, the fear of the enemy. But now after this battle, we find this same kind of fear, not by the enemy of Israel, but the Israelites themselves. Their hearts melted and became as fear. And it was because of the sin of one man. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Warren Wiersbe says, Never underestimate the amount of damage that one person can do outside the will of God. And here we see it. This one man, what, what trouble he brought to the nation, what trouble he brought to his family, because he lost the battle within. Verse 6, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face. He and the elders of Israel put dust on their heads and Joshua was discouraged. He didn't know what was going on. And he said, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? Now he's saying what, what the Israelites were saying to Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us here? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say since the Israelites have turned their backs before their enemies. And in verse 9 he says, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us, and they will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Isn't that interesting? Joshua is sharing the same concern that Moses had earlier. That was the name of God, the glory of God. What will people say about you, God, with these losses that we've experienced? He was obviously concerned about the glory of God. Lord, what will this mean, not just for us, not just for me, but what will this mean for your great name, O God? You see, as believers in Jesus, we bear His name. We call ourselves Christian. We carry that name of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the way that we live either brings honor to that name or dishonor to that name. And I would tell you as a pastor, one of my great concerns is that I will not live in such a way that I would bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. Not just dishonor to my name and our family name, but the name of Jesus, because I carry His name. And if you love Jesus, you bear His name as well. And that was the concern of Joshua. What will you do for your great name? If you look at what happened to Achan and his family, you see that the personal results here were enormous. After Achan was confronted, we find that in verse 22, that Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it, just as he had said. 
They took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord because it belonged to him. God had made that clear. Then verse 24 says that Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And then Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble. Achan caused trouble for the people of Israel. And the trouble that he caused was returned upon his own head. You talk about an enormous consequence to the battle within that he had lost that day. These verses make it clear that Achan didn't take some of the riches of Jericho because he was poor. And he needed these things to survive. In verse 24, we're told that he had oxen and donkey and sheep and all kinds of other things. Achan took the riches of Jericho because he was greedy. What he had wasn't enough. And you know what? That's the way that greediness works, doesn't it? The greedy person never has enough. He always thinks he needs just a little bit more. I think it was one of the Rockefellers that asked how much more money he needed. He said, just a dollar more. <laughs> it's always just a dollar more. Just a little bit more. Aiken had all he needed. But just a little bit more. And when he saw that spoil, all the riches there of Jericho, in spite of God's very clear warning, he needed just a little bit more. Or so he thought. And the destruction that he and his family experienced that day. He even left a pile of stones there as a memorial of what happened. Sooner or later, the little bit more comes at a great price. And sometimes the price can literally be a person's life. I read about a ship that sunk some years ago and they were wondering why so many people didn't survive. Only to discover that some of them had put around their waist and in their pockets the riches. They could have chosen life for the riches. They chose the riches and lost, lost their life. That's what greed does. And so the battle within can be the greatest battle we face. The battle within can bring the greatest consequences... But here's the encouragement. The battle within can result in the greatest victory. The greatest victory. You see, in the midst of sad defeat for the people of Israel, there are some positive things to note. For one thing, there were many others who faced the same battle as Achan did 
And they won the battle. I hadn't really thought about that much before, but he was the only one amongst that large group of people that gave in to that greed. The rest of them followed the command of God. They faced a common temptation. And we know it's common because 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. So the temptation that Achan faced that day, he wasn't the only one. There were others who faced the same temptation and they won the battle. They didn't give in to their greed. They found a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Isn't that good? God provides a way of escape. We don't have to give in to the battle. We don't have to be overcome by temptation. Because of Jesus, there is victory. Victory in Him. Satan wants us to think that there's no way we overcome the battle. He wants us to believe the lie that we'll just continue. There's no way that we'll ever overcome the battle we face. But there is victory in Jesus. The promise of God's Word. There could have been another victory that day. Even after Achan had sinned. You see, God could have simply told Joshua that Achan was the one. But he didn't do that. Did you see the, 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 the way in which Achan was confronted? A very methodical way. Verse 14 describes it. Beginning with the tribe. And then the family. And then the household. And then the individual. And some have wondered, why did, why did the Lord tell them to do it this way? I think there's a good possibility, it makes sense to me, that he was giving Achan an, an opportunity to repent. He was certainly aware of what he has done and, and, and the guilt that he experienced because of that. And as God was narrowing the focus down... Achan knew that eventually he was going to be the one confronted. God was giving an opportunity for Achan to repent, but he didn't. David Jackman says there is a strong, dramatic grip to the narrative as we see God's net closing in on the guilty man. And one can only imagine what that must have meant for Achan. He saw the in, in, excuse me. He saw the inevitability of the process and certainly knew his guilt. And yet there is no confession until it is wrung out of him, and no apparent evidence of remorse, let alone repentance. He goes on to say, either he is paralyzed by the process or stubbornly hardened in his rebellion. But as the text stands, Achan comes out of his or comes out with his hands up. 
He hasn't gotten away of it, with it. But this is an admission of guilt and nothing more. Did you catch that last phrase? An admission of guilt and nothing more. Just like, okay, you caught me. I did it. But no repentance of sin. You see that sometimes, don't you? When someone's caught, what looks like maybe, okay, I've sinned, yeah, you caught me, but that's all it is. No real repentance. And that's the sad ending for Achan's life, that there wasn't genuine repentance. There could have been. There could have been forgiveness. Does the life of Achan picture your life today? Have you put up your hands in an admission of guilt, but you've never really repented of your sin? Achan paid a terrible price. And so will everyone who follows his example. How much better it is when we are honest about our sin and repent of our sin before it's too late and receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives. And even better still, when temptation comes that by the grace and power of God we turn from it, the way of escape, so that we may be able to endure it. There is a battle going on within us today. A battle that we can win because Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He has broken the power of sin in our lives. And when temptation comes, He will provide a way of escape so that we will be able to endure it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for what You did on the cross. You paid the price for our sins, and we rejoice in that today. We look upon our lives, and so many times we lose the battle within. We fail, and yet we thank You, God, that when we come to You in genuine repentance, there is forgiveness with You. Oh God, You are a gracious God. And as we face that battle within, oh God, thank You that there is victory no temptation has taken us except what is common to man. And God, you are faithful. You will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but you will provide a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. Oh God, help us as we face those battles within, those daily struggles, Lord, with temptation. Thank you for the victory that is ours, the cleansing that is ours because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. We pray in His precious name. Amen.